Uh, wow. Thank you for that very kind introduction. Um, before I start talking this morning, uh, I have to put on a different hat and tell you that as chairman of the church board, uh, it's my pleasure to inform you that we have extended Pastor Ryan's uh, contract for one additional month. He was going to be leaving us at the end of September, and now he is going to stay with us until the end of October. Um, and the reason for that is that our search process, as well as his, has taken just a little longer than we wanted it to. And uh, so as a result of that, we've agreed to extend uh, him for one more month, and that was a decision that the church board made uh, recently. So now for the sermon. Um, there was a part of me this week that Pastor Carl uh, emailed me and said, hey, what's the title of your sermon and a summary? And uh, at the time that he sent that, I, I almost sent back, the title is this, The Sermon That Does Not Want to Be Given. Um, because I've struggled uh, to, find, to find the right words. And, you know, Nita said that I, I love you guys, and I do, and I don't want to waste your time. <laughs> so that was part of my motivation. Um, and before I do begin, the sermon is actually titled Making Sense of Suffering, uh, I want to acknowledge something, and that's that there are those of us today uh, sitting here and watching online that are suffering. And uh, if that's the case, I, I, I want to make it very clear that what I have to say this morning is not for you. Um, if you're in the middle of suffering or pain or trial, and I'm going to use those words kind of inner um, uh, as, as all, uh, I'm going to use suffering, pain, trial, struggle, those, you're going to hear all of those words, they kind of mean the same thing. But if you're in the middle of that, it's not the right time to listen to a philosophical talk about suffering. That's absolutely not your, your, your job. Um, so I say all that because I don't want my words to be callous or cold uh, to you, and I don't want them to be offensive. Because um, what you need is uh, you need time and love, you need attention, and that's not something that a sermon is really made for. Um, the other thing that I want to be clear about before I start is that the determination of whether or not you are suffering or whether or not you are in pain can only be made by you. Nobody else can tell you different. It's not my job or anybody else's uh, to tell you that you need to get over it or that you need to move on, or um, I think worst of all, that somebody else has it worse than you. Um, because if you're hurt or sick or tired or struggling, that's suffering, okay? So you get to define that. So, again, I don't want to be offensive to you if you're in that situation, but I am going to continue talking about this subject, uh, making sense of suffering. And in doing so, I'd like to make three points. Uh, the first point is this. Uh, suffering or pain or trials are ubiquitous. Now, that's a $3 word that some of you might not know how to define. Uh, ubiquitous means it's everywhere. It's all around us, and it affects everyone, okay? Suffering is here for all of us. We can illustrate that theologically. I have a Bible right here. The Bible has 66 books in it, okay? The first book in that Bible has 50 chapters, the book of Genesis. We get through two chapters and barely into the third before we're already introduced to suffering, okay? The first two chapters, um, God creates a world which is harmonious. 
uh, he creates a world that he declares is good. And then just a couple of verses into chapter 3, mankind rebels against God. And when that happens, um, because of that rebellion and because of sin, humanity ushers into our world death, disease, and disharmony, suffering. As a result, man is at odds with God, man is at odds with man, man is at odds with creation. All of humanity is at odds with God, with each other, and with our creation. And I think everybody in this room, or virtually everyone, and virtually everyone that's ever heard the Bible story is aware of that reality. If you go to the New Testament, it speaks over and over, very overtly, about suffering and pain. We had two short passages today, but you can go into, further into James, you can go further into Romans, you're going to hear all about suffering. Um, the little book of First Peter, five chapters loaded with suffering because it's a reality and it's something especially in the early church that was a reality. Second Corinthians summarizes virtually the whole second half or, or more is trial after trial that Paul has to face himself. But it's not just in the Bible. We don't just have to go to the Bible to prove this. I think that we all know this uh, in our just experientially and anecdotally. We've all been there. We face, we face trials today. Some of you probably faced trials when you walked in the church and you went to drop your kids off, you know, and there was that, that, that struggle. The, the, your child doesn't want to go in there and they're crying and stuff and, and you're, that's a trial, okay? That's a trial. We've all been there. Um, but we know that we need to do that, right? I mean, we don't want to, we, we want to create separation. We want them to be able to, to separate from us because we don't want to have to drive them to work when they're 35 and have them still crying, uh, mommy, mommy. Um, some of you sper- experienced some trial this morning when you came in, just walked in here. Some of you out there had a trial about whether or not you even wanted to come and you stayed home. Some of you walked in here and thought, well, where am I going to sit? Who's going to talk to me? Um, these are all realities. And I want to be very clear about this before we go any further. I'm not talking about this because I got it all figured out because I got this whole suffering and trial thing figured out, because it is exactly the opposite. I hate trial, and I hate suffering. My wife likes to say that I like to feel special, Um, and it's true. I have a lot of chance to fly in the airplanes back and forth to work, and I like to fly in first class. And if I don't get in first class, I want to sit in Comfort Plus. And if I don't sit in Comfort Plus, I want to sit on the exit row on the aisle with more legroom. Uh, I like to feel, and I, and I often text her and celebrate this. I don't do a touchdown dance or anything, but I celebrate the fact that, hey, look, I'm special today. Um, I like that. I like, I like to go on vacation to the beach. I don't like to practice being homeless. Uh, I, like, I like to, oh, sorry, that's what I call camping. Practicing being homeless. Um, I, don't, I, I, I don't like to get in my car and for it not to start. I don't like to find a flat tire. I want my golf cart to run every time I sit on it. Um, I just wish nothing would ever break. Okay? That's the kind of person I am. Uh, but that's not the way life is. Uh, sometimes things break. Tires go flat. Cars break down. And occasionally, you have to sleep outdoors. Um, I did it this summer. Um, So anyway, that's point number one. Suffering is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's all around us. It affects everyone. And before I go on to point number two, I want to point out something. You and I, 
Mountjoy, Pennsylvania, United States of America, Western society, we live at a point in time and in a population that is the least prepared population that's ever existed to deal with pain and suffering. Okay? I mean, we refuse to experience discomfort. If it's cold, we turn on the heat. If it's hot, we turn on the air conditioner. If we're hungry, we grab something and throw it in the microwave, and then we wrap our fingers impatiently while those seconds tick by, warming it up. We, we live in a society where I can pull out my phone and I can order food, and the car will stop right there and drop it off. It'll be cold because they picked it up hot 30 minutes ago, but it'll be right there. I can order McDonald's on my phone delivered to my house, okay? Disposable diapers, bottled water, grocery stores with 25,000 different items inside. This church right here, within 20 miles of this church, there's 35 different pretzel manufacturers. I mean, you know, we, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, we, we, we get everything. So we are the least prepared population in the history of the world uh, to deal with pain and suffering. So point number two. Point number two is this. There are two possible outcomes of trials or suffering. The first possibility is that a person, you or I, can get, stuck, can get stuck. We can get mired down and not be able to move beyond the trial. We get stuck in this quagmire that is suffering, and it can lead to despair, to grief, denial, bitterness, it can fester, and it leads even to faithlessness. It can lead to blame, cynicism, and sometimes even addictive behavior and destructive relationships. On the second side, the second possible outcome is that a person, again, you or I, can enter into a trial and suffering, and we can survive. We can endure. We can slog through. Um, we can come out the other side, and there's even the possibility of growth, of maturity. We may even develop uh, some character, some integrity. We might even have a little bit of empathy for people that we didn't have before. We might develop an understanding that we need people in our lives, and we, and we appreciate community and fellowship in a way that we didn't before. But the reality, and before I go any further, I want to make sure this is true. The reality is that those two outcomes, getting stuck and getting through, look identical, sometime for, for weeks or months or maybe even years. Because when a crushing period of trial, suffering, or pain, when that erupts into your life, it's, it's traumatic, and it's debilitating, and it's devastating. And it can be very difficult to see movement. The deeper that trial and suffering can be, the more likely that there's going to be a faith crisis. We're going to question God. We're going to ask Him why. We're going to say, where's your mercy? We might even say, do you exist? Where are you? Are you really there? And I want to be very clear right here. That's okay. <laughs> 
Read the Psalms. David does exactly that. He brings all kinds of accusations and questions and all of his garbage and lays it right at the foot of God's throne and asks him all those questions. And it's immortalized for us in the Psalms. But the survivor eventually, eventually sees some movement, some progress. Our two biblical texts this morning in James and Romans tell us that eventually when we endure suffering, we have a little bit of suffering, and that develops in us perseverance. And perseverance develops in us character, and character brings on hope, hope for the future. This progression uh, very much resembles your workout at the gym, right? I don't do this as much as I should, but you go in there and you pick up these big heavy weights. And what happens? It tears down your muscles. It makes you tired. It makes you sore. But if you do it day after day and week after week, those muscles grow back, and they grow back bigger and stronger and more capable. I, th- I think the fact that suffering does this, kind of that analogy, I think that we all understand it kind of intuitively. I think when you've been through something, you realize that it can make you a better person. The fact that you as a child have difficulties and trials, whether it was with your parents or school or something like that, that allows you to be a more compassionate, tender, humble, even sympathetic parent. If you've experienced loss, it allows you to be more empathetic and understanding and relate to others who are in the midst of loss. If you've had financial difficulty or struggles, uh, eventually it helps you to be more generous and to be more uh, caring for the people around you that are less fortunate. Now, the James text is a hard one. It's, I think it's very difficult to consider it pure joy when you're in the middle of suffering and trial. Uh, I don't think that he's suggesting that we should be masochists. Uh, we're not supposed to... Uh, enjoy suffering. We're not supposed to bring it on. We're not supposed to whip ourselves in the back. But, but we do need to be able to reorient our thinking. Maybe not when we're in the midst of it, but before it happens or after it's happened, we need to be able to reorient our thinking and understand that, that suffering actually can, can lead to growth. It can lead to maturity. Uh, our character is formed in crisis. There's a very appropriate metaphor. The word that's translated suffering in James uh, refers to, uh, the the Greek word, refers to smelting. Okay, do you know what smelting is? Smelting is the process where heat and flame is applied to metal, to ore. And it it refines out all the different types. You have the the precious metals that come off the dross that's... that's, that's, uh, this trash, the, the, the lead, the tin, the, um, the other metals come out as well. But that, that heat, that heat is what allows those different metals to become uniform. At certain temperatures, the gold melts and it comes out. Certain temperature, the silver melts. Another temperature, the lead. Another temperature, the tin. And as a result, you have these separated out. I think we can see how God in his wisdom allows us to be smelted, to be refined and defined and redefined uh, through the middle of our trials, our difficulties, and maybe even suffering. You know, we don't build our physique with french fries and ice cream, right? 
If we did, I would look a lot more like Joe Uniger than I do today. Um, I'd look more like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you don't. We, we build our physique by hard work in the gym. And in the same way, we don't build our character when everything's going our way. We build our character, our maturity, in the midst of difficulty and by enduring and overcoming. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a wonderful quote that says it's so much better. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts. He shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think we've all been deaf at times to to what the Lord wants to say to us, and we can understand that sometimes he just has to get a hold of us that way. So uh, to resummarize, there's three points that I had today. The first one is trials and suffering are ubiquitous. The second one, there's two possible outcomes to suffering. You can get stuck or you can get through. You can get stuck or you can endure and mature. And the third point this morning is the gospel, the good news, is intrinsically linked to trial and suffering. The very essence of the good news is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, this is of first importance. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. That's the absolute simplest form of the gospel. Death, burial, resurrection. Two of those three are not something that we want to be a part of, right? We don't like when when we die. We don't like when those around us die. We don't like going to funerals. But the gospel began with even more trial than that. Uh, Philippians 2 says that it began with Jesus making himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You know, I spoke earlier of of David having a faith crisis, of his coming to God with questions. Jesus did the same thing. As God's son, he struggled with the fact that he was going to have to die. He struggled with his trials, with his whole mission of suffering Because in the garden he prayed and said, Lord, Father, please let this pass. I'd rather not do this. But he endured. He persevered. He offered himself up to die. And that that suffering was the ultimate suffering. And I think that's because it's the most giving kind of suffering, which is sacrificial. There was no personal upside (laughs) for Jesus. I mean, he started off as God. He gave up his place in heaven, and he suffered death for me. And what's the result? What's the outcome of his suffering? I'm forgiven. I'm free. I have a relationship with the creator of the world, with my God. And I have a hope for the future. Beyond this world, beyond this broken world where death and disease and disharmony want to ravage me and my body and my mind and my relationships. And when I'm here with you, living in community uh, with other forgiven followers, I have a taste of the kingdom. 
And together we can experience a foretaste of, of kingdom living, of kingdom community, of kingdom service. And after hearing today's sermon, maybe we can even experience some kingdom suffering uh, with a renewed outlook and understanding that God's loving hand is on us even in the most difficult periods of life.